Section 16 of Birds and Nature, Volume 8, Number 4, November 1900. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Davis. Castles in the Air In a little bend of the San Joaquin River, where the current, attempting to straighten its course, has left a bank a few feet wide there is a small grove of tall cottonwood trees perhaps a dozen in number whose branches lean far over the stream and whose tops reach almost to the level of the bluff or rather the floor of the valley two hundred and fifty feet above for this swift river has in the course of ages cut thus deep a channel for itself the place is not easy of access for the shore narrows above and below the bend to a few inches where one with difficulty keeps from crumbling away the sand with his feet and falling into the water and the cliff is so nearly perpendicular that in many places it is inaccessible to a climber being of soft sand whose different stratas are clearly defined where they have been sliced off by the cutting stream the valley above is a vast grain field out almost to the edge of the bluff and along the edge and face of the bluff wherever root can cling or tendril hold grow beautiful wild flowers in the early spring days their last refuge between the cultivation and the deep sea or rather river in the tops of the cottonwoods live a number of baronial families in castles huge gray and ugly overlooking the sweep of the stream they are the great blue herons whose latin title ardia herodius gives one some idea of their ancient lineage they claim to be older than the storks of egypt and indeed they look older as they stand humpbacked and sleepy on one leg by the side of their nests the long fringe of light speckled neck feathers underneath looking like a long grey beard sweeping over their recurved neck and breast there is a wise look about them too for the black markings of the head sweep back over the eye and prolong into the appearance of a quill extending behind their ears though they are almost four feet long and spread their wings to six feet and over the heron's large blue-gray bodies are often almost indistinguishable from the bark of the cottonwood branches and the blue of the sky against which they are silhouetted so oddly one's eyes open with astonishment when these sticks or excrescences of the tree-tops slowly unfold an enormous sweep of sail and extending their long stilts behind them flap off across the stream with a creaking sound like the pulleys of a vessel when the halyards are running through them standing or flapping they are not handsome birds and one who comes suddenly upon a large heron for the first time as he stands in the shallow water of the brookside will be convulsed with laughter for if there is an utterly clumsy and awkward form or motion in bird life it belongs to this heron their homes are big baskets of nests made of twigs as large as a man's finger closely intermeshed 
From year to year they use the same nest, or build over it, until it has two or three stories or more, and is bigger than a bushel basket. There are probably two dozen nests in the dozen cottonwood trees, some of the larger trees having three or four or even six away up in their tops, where the branches seem scarcely strong enough to bear such heavy burdens. From the top of the bluff, one can look down into the nests, and in early March see the big blue eggs, almost as large as hen's eggs, reposing like amethysts in their rough brown setting. Some authors state that not over three eggs are laid, but I have seen four about as often as three, and on one occasion five in a nest. From their high-placed towers, the herons watch the small fry in the river below, and make forays among the young trout, pike, and catfish, and the frogs. They listen to the complaining voices in the twilight, and in the morning give them cause for still further complainings. They keep in terror the big wood rats, whose home in the clumps of elderberries below surpass in size those of the herons, and the gophers and field mice of the grain fields never know at what moment an ungainly shadow shall fall upon them and end their harvestings. There was a conceited young frog who sang loud and shrill at sunset on the edge of the river, and who had an ambition to be not an ox like the one in the fable, but a patty. And she had her wish after a fashion, for that connoisseur, the heron who dwelt on the farthest branch over the water, attracted by her vocal abilities, sought her out, and the little herons thought her the nicest pâté de foie gras they had ever eaten. There they dwell, this ancient race of high-born philosophers, stalking the shallows of sunny baylets, or dreaming in the breeze of the treetops of traditions old as the sequoias. What an authority would you and I be if we could read the unwritten history of their race? Charles Elmer Yenny Boughs are daily rifled by the gusty thieves, and the book of nature getteth short of leaves. Hood the Seasons End of section 16